Australia's largest media and marketing conference, Mumbrella 360, is next week in Sydney, and there is a last-minute explosion of talent. Walkley award-winning journalist, TV presenter, and social commentator Jan Fran is confirmed to kick off both days of sessions. And this year's biggest topic, Indies versus Networks, is set to be duked out live on stage with an additional contender, the in-house team. Beer and Greed host Sean Armour will keep the contestants in check. The battle includes Adam Ferrier and Ian Perrin for Indies, Danny Bassel and Virginia Highland for Networks, and in-house's Nick Thomas and Ben Cullion. Do not miss out. Book today and bring your whole team. Head to mumbrella360.com.au. reveals the eye-watering billings of global media agencies, or does it? Serious questions about the accuracy of data released by Convergence remain unanswered. There's plenty of drama playing out and we're delving into it head first. Then, a virtual cage match between two tech billionaires, Twitter owner and prolific shitposter Elon Musk is taking a battering from Meta founder Mark Zuckerberg, who's just launched Threads. Everyone's talking about it and signing up for it, it seems, but why should you care? Those topics before a sit-down with Nova's Chief Growth Officer, Adam Johnson, talking about the network's performance and its plans for the future. Then, Ogilvy PR's Head of Editorial, Brian Corrigan, about the launch of Business Influence. What does it do? And what does a B2B influencer look like? Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Shannon Malloy, and joining me today is Mumbrella's Editorial Director, Damien Francis. Damo, how are you? I'm good, and I've got I've got a response. What does a B2B influencer look like? I I reckon Peter Costello. Oh wow, wow! Too heavy. I mean, I'm not necessarily influenced by that, Uh, but interesting. We'll find out more soon. I'm sure. Our recently minted deputy editor Nathan Jolly is here as well. Welcome back for week two, Nath. Thank you for having me for week two. He's edging ever close to the door, though, it seems. Nathan, come back and fight. Come back. <laughs> right. I've do got not, this chain anyway. Can't leave. Do not leave me. And Mumbrella journalist Lauren McNamara, hello to you, Loz. Hello, hello. How is everyone? Fantastic. You're joining us virtually because you're working from home today, but we miss your presence here in the studio. Really oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Now, what's in a number? A lot of scepticism and plenty of unanswered questions if it's the annual billings of major Aussie media agencies. An annual report revealing these numbers was released recently by independent research agency Convergence. As Mumbrella reported last week, there have been a few complaints about the accuracy of those figures. Lauren, for the uninitiated, what is this report? Yeah, so basically this report ranks media agencies according to their billing growth um, compared to the previous year. So it looks at total billings, market shares, uh, employee headcount, the number of clients each agency has and so forth. Uh, What we don't know is how it's measured. So Convergence doesn't disclose its methodology or fact-checking processes, anything like that. Um, So we really don't have a way to understand exactly how it gets the numbers. And they're big numbers. The latest report was uh, pretty eye-watering. But bring us up to speed on the drama surrounding those numbers. Not everyone is convinced about their legitimacy, it seems. Yeah, so after Convergence uh, released last month's Australian report, Mumbrella, we spoke to a few people in the industry and they were saying the numbers weren't quite adding up. 
Um, so the accuracy of convergence obviously came under a bit of scrutiny. Um, we heard that some agencies had gone to convergence and sort of complained about one another. And I suppose, you know, there's been so many mergers and changes uh, that happened in the past year. Um, so, yeah, it was just a bit unclear about, you know, how some of these agencies got such big numbers. Yeah, um, Losses of clients too, right? Like some some big loss of business, a few wins as well. But, uh, yeah, the numbers, the numbers don't seem to quite stack up. Yeah, exactly. And another added complication is that, you know, it may have been reported in 2022, um, like a client loss, but it may not actually take effect until 2023. So there's a lot to a lot to consider here. Um, We reported last week that um, Convergence decided to investigate the report and sort of have its own conversations with the relevant agencies. Um, and we understood that it would be releasing an updated version um, to reflect any possible changes that it made. And there's an update today. What, uh, what's, what's happening? Apart from Convergence releasing a global billings report, uh, they haven't said much about the, the pretty dubious Aussie one, have they? No, yeah. So they replaced, uh, released the global report today. And basically, this one has two separate ranking systems. It's got the media agency networks and then the media agency groups. So we had Omnicon who topped the network ranking um, with an estimated 22.5 billion US dollars um, in in their billings. Wow. Um, and then Group M topped the group ranking with a huge 63.8 billion US dollars. Um, and then Publicis Group followed at 45 billion. So quite a big number between the two. Um, and I guess what's interesting to note is that you know, all of these figures are estimated. Um, and again, because Convergence doesn't disclose their methodology, I personally wonder just how close the agencies actually got because, you know, the the gap between 22 billion for Omnicon, which was followed by Mindshare at 20 billion, it, it just doesn't seem like a very big gap. Um, I know we're talking about, you know, half a billion dollars here, but <laughs> in, the, in the context of it, um, yeah, it seems like a pretty close call for just an estimate. And Loz, something that, that you and I were talking about uh, in the office with Damo is about the, I guess, the, the impact that independent media agencies have on these figures as well, because perhaps some of the, the bigger holding companies are using indie numbers to, to put out, uh, to expand their, their billings as well, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, we've heard that about a third of Australia's independent agencies Uh, bill through third parties and more often than not it's through a holding company Um, so yeah you're completely right it's it's a big question that remains unanswered and you know convergence um, is being quite tight-lipped about it. Mm. Damo why on earth would anyone want to talk about their money in such a public fashion like this? Oh you know the same reason why Elon Musk buys Twitter for 44 billion dollars <laughs> because you can it's a really good question shannon i mean why would you want to do it i guess on one hand it's an easy way to compare yourself to other agencies uh and every agency slash network wants to feel that they're on top or close to the top or made some gains or um you know suggest that they're doing better than they have before uh, obviously it works the other way if they've dropped billings and and, and rankings uh, but it's an easy way, I guess, of of doing the comparisons. But you know, if you put the foot, uh, the, the the foot, the shoe on the other foot, I should say, and you ask 
a, a CMO, do they really care whether the agency that they're going with happens to be in the top five by billings or whatever? I haven't personally come across a CMO yet who has told me that, yes, that's a factor in their decision making, or if their agency of choice drops out of the top five or whatever, that they're going to look to take the account to pitch. Um, so it's a bit of an ego contest, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, pissing contest, mm. the worst kind of contest. Uh, Jamie, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. What do you make of these these figures in the latest Australian report? Do you buy it? I'll tell you what I tell you what I am disappointed by, and that's the lack of transparency. Um, you know, whether it's convergence or any business that wants to do rankings like this, the first thing that should be available is the transparency and methodology. Simple as that. Um, you know, when it comes to billings, it's either Convergence or, or RECMA really is the one that most agencies uh, suggest is, is the go-to for those sorts of figures. But whether you're talking about RECMA or SMI or Total TV or, you know, yesterday you were all reporting on, on the latest radio figures, it's really just transparency yep. that we want to actually put any sort of meaning behind these numbers. Yeah. Uh, Loz, we're running a little bit short of time, but uh, just quickly, I imagine that Convergence has been upfront and helpful and, and that they're thrilled about uh, your questions. <laughs> Quite the opposite, actually. As I mentioned, they've been pretty closed off, um, to be honest. I think uh, they, won't, they won't tell us how they get their data and information and, um, you know, we, we don't know its methods, um, but, you know, we're going to continue to look into it and have more to come. Definitely uh, more to come, so watch this space, particularly you, Convergence. Look forward to hearing more from you. Now, the most downloaded app in smartphone history and an astronomical take-up of the newest social media platform, Threads. Mark Zuckerberg's answer to Twitter was unveiled less than a week ago. Nathan, has the success so far defied expectations or is it what we were largely expecting to see? Well, I think it's a lot bigger than anyone thought it would be. As of this morning, they've got 106 million users. Wow. That's quite impressive. But having said that, Instagram has 1.6 billion worldwide. So it's still got a fair bit to go to really catch up with that. I think the most telling thing that's happened is that during the first two days that Threads was live, Twitter's usage went down by 5% compared to the week before. So it's not just people are trying out a new thing and now they've got four instead of three. It seems they're actively leaving Twitter and jumping over to threads. Yeah. Although having said that, you do need your Instagram account to be linked with your threads account. And, and here's a warning for anyone that wants to get rid of threads. Don't do it because it's linked to your Instagram account. So you cannot delete threads without deleting Instagram. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Isn't that insane? That's so, crazy. It's hard to say what these figures mean. I mean, of those 106 million, maybe 100 million looked at it, went, this is for me, and then left it, and it's just sitting on their phone gathering digital dust. Yeah. Well, those numbers will probably never drop because no one wants to lose their Instagram account. Um, Damo, are you on threads yet? And what's your impression if you are? I I am on threads, uh, actually, and it reminds me of Twitter 2010, which I think it's reminded a lot of people of, to be fair. But my question off the back of what Nathan was saying, though, is realistically, we know that, that Twitter and most social media, but definitely Twitter to the vast extent, was powered by 
um, you know, power users, essentially, a small group of people who just incessantly tweeted over and over again. And then the rest were just onlookers. So out of those 106 million people, how many are actually power users at the moment? And how many are just interested bystanders and then combine that with people who are like, oh, do I get rid of this? Can I not get rid of this? What should I do with it? Because I'm not really using it. So I, I don't know what you guys have observed, but for my first uh, almost week on the platform, what I have seen is I'm now starting to get more and more people I know in my feed rather than yeah. just being served up the randoms on day one and day two, uh, which you would expect. But those people in my feed are very much the same people over and over again to my point on power users. Yeah. Is it me? Am I one of the... <laughs> yeah, can you get out of my feed, mate? Like, honestly, just... I'm fascinated, every, though. Every bloody time I open threads. I do. Not during the workday, of course. I'm, uh, I'm very busy. You were doing it an hour ago. Yeah, well, I know. Well, I, was in the, I was in an Uber on my way back from a meeting. Um, we'll move quickly on. What, is, what does this all mean for brands and, and what's the plan for advertising at this stage, Nate? Well, the local rep told us that they will not be adding advertising or attempting to monetize it at all this year. Wow. So I suppose that's at least a six-month run where they're just going to try to build the platform, which I think is smart because Elon Musk turned people off Twitter by charging money he charged for the blue ticks he brought in subscription stuff he limited things he he monetized it and yeah. people clearly don't want that people don't want to pay for something they've been using for 10 years either and oh. i think it's smart like facebook did the same thing instagram did the same thing like they didn't have ads for years so i assume that they're just going to follow that model and i think added to that the fact of the matter is they they dumped threads on us at a time where it I think even they kind of admit it wasn't quite ready. Like no. this was a period of time that was just ideal for that situation. You know, the, the Twitter self-destruction was at its peak. Um, and so why not, you know, why not deliver this? So many of the commentators, the stuff that I've been reading from the US, whether it's The Verge or, or any of those, you know, Wall Street Journal, et cetera, were like, well, this was, a, if they didn't announce it now, they stood the chance of that sentiment within society slowly dissipating. This was the time, even if it was kind of half-baked when they put it out, which we, I think we realised it is kind of half-baked. Yeah. You can't even DM someone. No, you know? no, no hashtags, no, no trends. Exactly, right? So it was totally half-baked. Forget the fact that Europe can't use it yet because of various concerns. Uh, I think threads or meta was suggesting it's more the rules upcoming next year that have sidelined that one uh, at, at the moment. Um, but the momentum that they'll gain this year from just getting it out into market, and I, like Nathan said, I think it's a really good idea not to go down the advertising route just yet because they haven't got some of the basic functionality working. You can forget about them having gone too far down that that track of making sure that if they're taking advertising, uh, they're servicing it properly. Yeah. Uh, very quick sort of one or two line answer to a question for both of you, uh, Damo and Nath. If you're in our space, the, the media and marketing world, but you're not much into social media, you don't tweet or, or thread, whatever we're calling it, why should you care about what happens with platforms like this and like Twitter? 
Well, I suppose if you're in the advertising, marketing, media space, then you don't have to be on the platform tweeting or threading or whatever to be across it. Like if you, if you're selling billboard ads, you don't go out and check out billboards. You just know they work. <laughs> you might. So you need to know. Yeah, <laughs> if they're you, sexy. You, you exactly, used to. It's got, it's got a site to it. <laughs> yeah. We'd go out with the big book and yeah. they'd go, hey, look at that up there. Uh, no, I stand corrected. <laughs> Sounds amazing. <laughs> this was a long time ago, to be fair. Yeah, as long as you can understand the space and understand what you can get out of it and whether it's worth your while being in it, it's not like you need to be tweeting at Courtney Kardashian or anything to be involved. Yeah, look, I, I think at the end of the day, social media in general has provided a, a lot of opportunity for brands in a variety of ways. Threads will probably do that, but I think we should probably take the opportunity of this the rest of the year that that Meta has essentially given us while they get their shit together um, of actually analyzing how it's being used uh, and what is happening. Because my theory on Twitter, uh, and I wrote this in the weekend mumbo, was essentially that it was never a good business model to begin with because there was a small demographic of users who like to essentially talk to themselves. Yeah. Um, and then the ability to monetize that was actually quite small. And I wouldn't be surprised if the same goes for, for threads. Like the functionality, if you, if you look at it on a functionality basis, and I know you just said two lines and I've given you about 36, <laughs> um, but I'm not going to stop. <laughs> if you look at the functionality of Twitter, there was not necessarily anything wrong with its functionality. It just, the purpose it served was just narrower than I think anyone had thought. I don't see threads being that much different to Twitter. So why would the audience be that much different? To Twitter. And yeah. the correlation between Instagram and Twitter isn't really there. Like I noticed because mm. you can automatically follow everyone you follow on Instagram through threads. And so many of those were just completely uninteresting as soon as it moved into text-based stuff. Like if you're following, you know, an account that just shows pictures of old churches or jacaranda trees, like that doesn't convert. Is that like, what you're following? <laughs> just, just in, in no way, judgment. Not just jacaranda. Okay. No, that, that's palms. cool. Who would have thought it though? Ph photographers aren't necessarily great at writing yeah. and writers aren't necessarily great at photography. Like, yeah. Shock horror. Yeah, exactly. So Indeed. the crossover there might not be there as well. You might find people doing the, because it's quick to sign up to, but it's also you then have to go through and handpick. If you're following a thousand accounts, like 900 of those might just be picture-based things or might be, you know, Celebrities you have absolutely no interest in. I feel like Nathan's talking from a lot of experience. I know. Here. I'm gonna, feels a bit shell shocked. Yeah. Are you okay? Who you're following? Yeah. <laughs> has this week of following threads like totally derailed you? It has. It's thrown me off. Also, another thing I'd like to throw out there is for your follower list, they should call it your thread count. Oh, I like Ooh. that. That's wow. good. That's very good. dropping a mic. Yeah. Straight to the inbox of Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Well, we could talk about this all day, but we've got plenty more to get to. So uh, it doesn't have... get any better, though. Like after thread count, is, I know. is the rest of the podcast worth listening to? I'm just going to throw that out. I'll give you the rest of the day to think up some great puns, Damo, and you can put them in your uh, thread posts. But uh, we do have lots more to, to move on to. Uh, me, first up. Uh, he's me with Nova's Chief Growth Officer, Adam Johnson. Adam Johnson, thank you for your time. 
Your role is Chief Growth Officer. What does that remit look like? Um, it's basically in Nova, it was a new role when I joined where we kind of brought together what was the kind of the marketing and promotional teams and publicity, which is kind of traditional kind of CMO type function, along with um, all of our digital side of our business. So digital from a content point of view, i.e. Uh, our podcast and streaming uh, business, and then also digital from a product and platform point of view. So our websites, apps, um, data strategy, those kind of things. So kind of all things marketing and digital combined. Yeah. Nova is a, a giant of the radio landscape. As we talk today, where is the business at? What are the the highlights? Yeah, I mean, we're in, yeah, we're in, we're in rude health. We're in, we're in a, a growing category, which is a great place to be. You know, audiences are, Obviously, you know, 24 hours post-survey, that we've got some fresh numbers to look at, which is good, but audiences are holding up incredibly well, um, both in terms of kind of traditional broadcasts, there's newer DAB plus stations, and clearly the growth the growth area for audio is in the digital audio space, both in terms of streaming and podcasts. So so we're, um, you know, we are, we're in a, a, a really competitive environment. We have some incredible competitors, particularly from a metro point of view. Mm. Um but we're doing all right, and we're, yeah. we're we're you know off of yesterday. We're we're really happy. Well, talk to me about the the digital side of the business. Mm. What's that investment looked like for Nova? I imagine it's not a not a cheap thing and not an easy thing to pivot. No, it's not. It's not insignificant. Um, and most of that in. I mean, the, the good the good thing is that our core radio product translates well beautifully to to digital. In that, you can time shift your listening. So if you want to listen to Fitz and Whip with Kate Ritchie, but you, the mornings don't work for you, you can listen to the podcast whenever you want and that product is already made it's just kind of taking it to market in a different way so there's a the core product lends itself well to a, to kind of a digital distribution strategy podcasts are slightly different that is kind of that's that's new that's a very kind of that's a, a that's original content that we either create ourselves or we partner with people to make and then we help them monetize um but it's i wouldn't call it a pivot I, it's definitely been an, an evolution um certainly having been in in um audio for the best part of 10 years now it's definitely been something which i think the the industry as a whole has kind of embraced without we haven't had a burning platform which has been which is a fantastic place to be right is it's not as if your core business is is eroding to the speed at which um you have to make a change we've we've acknowledged that there's been a shift in consumer behaviors enabled by by you know mobility smartphones smart speakers etc and over time have kind of migrated our business towards that whilst growing kind of the core business so mm. it's a it's, I guess structurally, it's a really good way of doing it. Yeah, some new data out today showing that that radio is certainly thriving as a medium. Not too long ago, though, some pundits might have uh, you know prematurely written the obituary for for your industry. But it's it's sort of healthier than ever, right? It's yeah. Again, having been in this game for a while, it's um, even when I, I I was I was in technology before I worked at Microsoft, and it was like, wow, you're leaving Microsoft to go and work in radio. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and and actually, you know, it, like I say, even then, it was it was you know the the, the death knell, and it continues to go from strength to strength. And I, I think that that purely comes from the the role that it plays in people's lives. Nothing nothing does it like radio does in terms of the intimacy you get with the presenters, the way that it fits around your life when you're doing other things. Um, it's free, um, which, you know, during a cost of living crisis is not another subscription service you might want to, you know, might have to take off of your list. Um, so it, it ticks so many boxes that um, it's it's kind of ever enduring. And we, we, we recognize that the, the way you listen to audio has changed and will continue to change. And our job is to be in and amongst that as those as those evolutions happen. 
What is the what does the mix look like? What does the content mix look like? What is the I guess the the platform or the technology mix look like for Nova to to keep growing? What are you what yeah. are you investing in? Um, so, so you know, I, I guess the the eighty twenty rule probably applies here, kind of you know, kind of within a certain margin, right? Which is that um, you know the the digital is the growth part of our business, but from an audience point of view, and now, and now we're starting to report on streaming numbers within GFK, we can we can publicly state how much of our listening you know is made up of streaming, and and, and is in about that that kind of realm. I think we know the the Nova network. Um, has a kind of a combined queue of 4.2 uh, million. Um, we have 760,000 people that are streaming, so it's in and around that kind of that 80-20 kind of classic rule. But but equally, the, the the growth that is in that area is is accelerating more and more every year. So so that, so that kind of that that really informs the content mix because that then allows you to make investment decisions on. Um, how, what does our podcast slate need to look like to take advantage of the audience opportunity? Um, and how do we make sure that we invest in that without over-investing in that? Because there has been a bit of a, you know, a gold rush into podcasting. Mm. And then and the reality is, is that the, the money, the money's not following right now. You know, we, you know, we're not, we're not commercializing every single download in the way that I would don't imagine any podcast operator is. So I think responsibly and sustainably building a digital audio business is definitely our approach here to make sure that we are in this for the long term. Um, all of our podcast partnership deals are at least you know 24 months. We want to do wow. long term partnerships to help them grow their audience because we know that advertisers really rate the the environment and the the impact um, and the attribution it can deliver. But that's going to take time. So so being in the races without kind of overstretching ourselves um, is probably a kind of our, some of our guiding principles there. Yeah. What are you listening to at the moment? Do you have a, a Nova podcast that's that's top of your list? I, I, I do. I mean, my job is to listen to all of them, sure. um, uh, which is quite time consuming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it helps when you live, you know, on the northern beaches and you're stuck in, you know, on the, on the spit bridge for 40 minutes. Um, you can get through a couple there. Um, I'm I'm getting really into um, Boldly Me by Chloe Hay. Um, mm. is, is they're doing incredibly well for us and she's just a just a fantastic talent that um, really fits well into our onto our originals podcast slate we are, we are we're more and more so we're, we're becoming the home of genuine diverse voices um, and Chloe is is a great example of that of somebody with a she's she's neurodiverse she speaks um, for, for a generation almost a character in Heartbreak High I think allowed lots of people um, with, a, with a neurodiverse background to kind of like feel they were represented in the media mm. and the guests that she's been able to pull in um you know it, it, the tim minchin uh, episode happened because he has he has a, a daughter um who related with chloe's character they became friends and then when so chloe can then pick up the phone and say tim will you come on my podcast and he was like absolutely wow so her ability to pull in some guests who talk really you know kind of openly about what makes them boldly them and for good and for bad um, makes for a, a really kind of a really, really fantastic podcast. And some of the sponsors that we brought on board for that have really recognized that it's a it's a great place for their brands to be kind of seen and heard um, uh, because, you know, it helps reflect their their diverse customer base as well. Well, talk to me about, you know, obviously great stories are, are are important but there's a commercial element as well what uh, what are brands or what are clients uh, get out of the value proposition of of, of radio and all of its uh, mediums and, and methods of delivery what do they get that they can't get anywhere else 
I think the reality is they can get it everywhere else, but you've probably got to buy three or four different media channels to, right. to get it. Uh, um, and I, I say that with humility, but also with with pride. That the the, the, the audio is a is a full funnel medium in in that if you are if you want a, if you run a spot at eight forty five on breakfast radio across the Nova network, you're gonna you're gonna reach millions of people. So you, that's broad broadcast reach. Um that you might be able to match those numbers on an outdoor billboard or on a on a TV ad. So we we kinda we kinda tick that box. Um I guess what then where audio kind of comes into its own is then um, your ability to then integrate your brand into the specific content. So you know we have a you know so what if is a, is is the travel partner of all of our Nova Breakfast shows and the ability that and we've worked with them for so long that our presenters now just organically weave you know kind of you know if they're talking about travel they'll talk about what if kind right, of like right. almost you know, almost without being paid for it kind of thing, which is a great a great place to be. So the integration opportunities that you can't you can't integrate yourself into a billboard kind of thing in the in the sense mm. of the content which you can within radio, and then when people then continue their listening journey for example um through our app when they're listening over carplay or android auto in their car you then become a, a an addressable audience member because we know we have certain data points about you that allow certain brands to target certain customers based on who they are where they are um, purchase habits those, those kind of things and that takes you close to the bottom of the funnel from a from a conversion point of view um so so i think that you know the 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 benefits of brands is that if you kind of have an what we would call an all of audio buy you can you can do everything from that mass scale reach reaching millions of people having a shared experience at a single time which is a, a rare thing these days with streaming and you know time shifted viewing and those kind of things all the way through to i'm going to um, serve my car dealership ad to an auto intender in penrith at this time wow. um, and drive them to our weekend test drive sale kind of thing so yeah. so that that's i think that from a media effectiveness point of view that's where the magic happens wow incredible and it is it is all for something and that's feeds into your job which is audience and audience growth mm. survey out on tuesday survey four what were the highlights there for you what what excited you when you read that report oh, there's, there's loads of good stuff in there and and, and you know we do there's a lot of numbers in there, and and everyone can find a good number in in in, in, sure. in, in you can you can find the number one in a demo in a time slot in a certain region if you if you want to kind of thing. So I'm I'm very conscious of that. That we we you know we do go out there and proudly say that we're we're a, we're a market leader. Um, that you know in, in lots of different areas. One of the one of the areas that you know our overall reach number is is a number that I look you know very carefully at because that's how do we balance our particularly our marketing driven growth which comes at a cost because you know we, we we pay to market our brands um that overall nova entertainment um reach number the q number across across nova smooth um 5aa all of our streaming numbers um that kind of 6.4 million people is a, is a it's a big chunk of the yeah. adult australian population so, so to see that number grow again um you know we'll we'll run out of road at some point but to see it grow again was was really great to see um and then growing dab plus within that knowing how much choice there is now on the dab plus dial to see further growth in there was great and then on a, on a show level fantastic results um i mean perth is just a just a juggernaut Huge. um like another kind of 19 20 percent share for breakfast there which is you know which is phenomenal for a, for a radio show and just shows to the enduring appeal of of nathan that insurance in that market um drive i mean we had we've had a lot of change actually in our lineup nova has got had a very stable presenter lineup for a long time and and just in the last six months you know kate's has joined the city New breakfast show, Ricky Lee has moved into our drive show. New breakfast show in Melbourne. New breakfast show in Adelaide. So it's been a you know somebody who's only 
20 months into the role there's been more change here than there has been in the last 10 years um and to see those new shows really picking up audience fantastic result for ben liam and bell in melbourne on their was probably only their fourth or fifth survey um for a new show that's very different from what came before chris sam and brownie was an institution and, and ben liam and bell i think is a is a great reflection of the station and the market down there and to see audiences recognizing that and that being picked up in our survey numbers was, was good to see so so all, all around you know really happy i mean as ever work work to do you know we you know we're only on our third full survey for for uh for um fitzy whip with kate and, and we want to continue to grow that and you'll see more and more both content and marketing out there for that show um uh, and smooth um we launched smooth in brisbane adelaide and perth last year and um you know we got we, we continue to focus on growing the audience for that um brisbane is an area where i think there's massive audience opportunity for for smooth in that market so a bit more a bit more marketing uh, kind of pr and content focus there yeah what what's a, a survey day look like in a, in a radio <laughs> network? Do you have the kind of champagne on ice just in case it's a good one, or do you you know? And we spend most of our time um, plowing through spreadsheets, right? Um, understanding what the narrative needs to be, because um, the 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 first thing is is really because our breakfast shows are on air when when the numbers come in right so um it's God, that must suck <laughs> yeah 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 so we, we try and shield them from it and they they all know right and they come out of the show going well, how, how do we do so making sure that we, we, we we're very clear and concise on you know that you know, your movement was from from a to b it was in these demos um and you know and and you know maintain you know kind of the excitement and the motivation you know you're effectively you're, you're having a you're having a review of your of your of your profession eight times a year it's pretty yeah. it's pretty full-on really it's like having a it's like having an annual review eight times a year with your yeah. boss i've um, had mine something once a year. yeah yeah likewise likewise so um so that that's quite intense so we, we spend a lot of time kind of pouring over numbers and then we turn to what does the external facing meshing look like so so what what do we want to send to, to, to shannon and, and team at mumbrella that helps you guys um, get stories out quickly, saying things that are first and foremost factually correct, and then obviously support the narrative that that Nova is you know is is doing well in these areas um, because you guys see all the networks and you see all of their messaging, and then and then what we're in this afternoon and tomorrow will be a, a deeper dive with the programming teams on okay what does that actually mean okay we've done the press releases we've done the spreadsheets what does that mean in terms of do we need to tweak some some of the content does um, uh, why is that competitor in that market doing a bit a bit better than us? Um, is it about localness? Is it about the what does the clock look like? All those kind of things. So so it's a it's a it's a pretty intense kind of three to ten day period. Without and the, and the trick here is not to get change things too much because you know right. once one survey doesn't make a trend, and I'm really at pains to remind anybody that will listen which is that you know that was that looks like a blip let's wait till the next survey before we throw the baby out with the bathwater. so yeah. it's kind of managing the the short-term numbers and some long-term trends that best inform the changes that we make yeah well finally on that long-term uh trend uh notion what what does the future look like for nova and and what what can you tell us about the strategy of, of where you're headed um, I think the the three words I talked about earlier, kind of all of audio is our is our guiding principle. We are we are proudly a, an audio brand um, in all of its flavors, and our our strategy is is absolutely is to is to continue to build 
the the core business of 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 linear broadcast radio where you know millions of people have are listening to the same person saying the same thing at home in their car at the same time it's a, it's a it's a magical thing that happens quite rarely these days so that you know that you know making sure that we have the 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 best people on the airway saying saying the most entertaining engaging educational things is kind of is core so content it always comes back to content but the wrapper that goes around that is about is more about distribution is how do you make sure that we are we are where people expect us to be and then and part of my job and my team's job is to think about when anybody wants an audio experience in inverted commas be that I just want to listen to some relaxing music that a the first brand they think about is smooth relax and that the the solution to that is at their fingertips be that in the car on on their when i say fingertips obviously in a smart speaker world it might be yep. on, their, on their lips yep. uh, as they ask their smart speaker to play smooth relax um or it's on their app and it gives them a magical experience when they do that so it, it, it's content first but distribution a very close second to make sure that we are where our audience wants us to be and it's kind of and it's simple and magical and it remains free um you know that's that that's those are the core tenets of what we do and for all the time that people want you know great content that inspires and, and entertains them um then our job is to continue to provide that and we just and we have to have faith that brands and advertisers will use that as a mechanism to to build their own businesses and, and you know and for the 20 odd years that Nova's been around we've done a pretty good job of that and and long may that continue yeah well congratulations on a, a great survey and Thank you. and the many that came before it and the ones to come uh, and thanks for your time today Adam and thanks for your time cheers Pleasure. and now Lauren chats with Ogilvy PR's Brian Corrigan I'm joined today by Brian Corrigan, Head of Editorial at Ogilvy PR. How are you, Brian? I'm very well, and you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Now, this week, Ogilvy PR announced the launch of Business Influence in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, Could you give us a little rundown of what this new offering is? Yeah, so I suppose historically, B2B brands have have really relied on customer case studies almost exclusively for external validation. Uh, but there's a much broader range of credible experts out there who have an impact on the buying decisions of their customers. So if, if this might include a successful entrepreneur, if your brand has a small business audience, it might be an academic if you're telling a sustainability story, or industry analysts if the focus is on a new tech. So business influence is really about tapping into these credible third-party experts Uh, I'm bringing those voices into brand storytelling more frequently and more prominently to inform buying decisions. Fantastic. And what was the inspiration behind it? I think if you look at the last 10 years or so, Lauren, there have probably been three major um, trends in in marketing, I would say. And the first of those was content marketing. After that, we saw brand purpose. And of course, now, most recently, influencer marketing. Now, when you think of content and you think of of brand purpose, pretty much every brand has played those games. But when we think of influencer, it's always been predominantly thought of as a a consumer brand play. Uh, And a lot of B2B marketers will switch off when they hear people start to talk about influencers. But we think that's a missed opportunity. Uh, And definitely in the B2B, uh, in in the UK, sorry, where we launched this, product first uh, late last year, they've had a lot of success uh, with with brands 
using influencers to inform buying decisions. Can you give us a few examples of the sort of success that they've had? Yeah, I can't talk too much about the the, the UK's work, but you know, I think if you um, definitely examples of uh, clients that they've worked with, uh, Samsung, um, IBM, I know Vodafone as well. Uh, a Samsung example, they used a lot of entrepreneurs or a, a small group of entrepreneurs to really show how they were using its new flip phones uh, for a campaign in, in the UK. Sorry, that's not very good. I'm not really across the UK's work too much. No, that's okay. That's okay. So you said there are some opportunities that um, B2B marketers are sort of missing out on. Could you talk a little bit on that? Yeah, well, um, obviously brands, whoever this, whoever their audience is, uh, are looking to, to increase sales. Um, and as I said earlier, that's traditionally, when we've thought about external validation, it's been about uh, customers, but there's a much broader range of influencers out there who can impact buying decisions. So business influence is built around a suite of about 25 tools that help us to develop B2B influencer strategies, um, to engage the right talent, uh, to run campaigns, and then of course, to to measure results. Uh, We measure the influence of a specific influencer uh, based on their campaign relevance, their performance on different platforms, and also the brand risk. So they get a score out of 100. Uh, And how it works here in Australia, so I lead the business storytelling component locally. Our digital director, Louise Jones, runs influencer engagement. And then our head of performance, Nico Mendel, uh, manages content amplification across the channels. So, and as with all work that we do, we have a, 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 a broad range of 130 specialists across Sydney, Melbourne and Canberra, and we bring those in and out as they're needed to add value to the campaign. Yeah, amazing. And we often can hear about influencers sort of taking brand deals or working with businesses and being dishonest to their audiences. And I suppose Ogilvy um, has kind of made a point to make sure that you're connecting businesses with trusted uh, experts. Yeah. Do you have any sort of... um, way that you're actually going to make sure that they're trustworthy or is it just going to be sort of what you see and what you hear? Look, we, we like I say, we have a, a range of tools that identify who the most, cre- who the most credible and influential people are according to whatever the brand campaign is that a, that a client has at the time. And then of course, before we contacted any of those influencers, we were doing more research as we did, as we would with engaging anyone for any client campaign and making sure that the client was comfortable uh, with who who those people are. Fantastic. And with the launch, you've um, announced some new research as well. And one of the stats that interested me was that 96% of B2B decision makers can be influenced by social platforms. Um, Is this something that you're going to try to engage with and try try to build upon? Yeah, so we did. The research that we did, we commissioned YouGov to speak to about uh, 250 senior business decision makers. And really what we wanted to find out was in the first instance, whether their business decisions, their buying decisions were being uh, impacted by these business influencers, these credible third-party experts, where they were engaging with them and what what they valued the most uh, from, from these experts. And I think there were um, 
three stats that really stood out. So the first one, uh, we can start there. You said 96% of senior decision makers say that their uh, buying decisions are influenced on social channels other than LinkedIn. So I think historically, um, when we think about B2B, we think about LinkedIn and LinkedIn is of course incredibly important in that channel and uh, for that audience. But our message is that it's not the only game in town. And thinking about, you know, if 73% have had their buying decisions influenced on Facebook, for example, or 50% on TikTok, that tells us that there's a real opportunity to engage these audiences, maybe when they're in a bit more of a fun mood or relaxed mood, and maybe not so buttoned up as they are when they're consuming content on LinkedIn. Uh, a couple of other stats I'd share with you. So 90% said that their decisions are swayed by business influences. The people that they see as being most influential are company leaders, customers, and industry analysts. Less than one in five uh, business decision makers considered journalists as a credible source. As a former journalist, I obviously take offense at that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, uh, 51% said that they were swayed by learnings from failure, which was slightly more than we found for uh, success stories, which came in at 49%. Now, that's really interesting because if you think of your LinkedIn feed today, you know, it's still dominated by the humble brags about promotions and new business wins, successful projects and award nominations. But this tells us that uh, when people are, are looking at this content, they want to know about the bumps in the road. They want to know about the things that they can learn from others who are trying to achieve the same things as them. So don't be scared of failure. Yeah, absolutely. And your point about social channels and TikTok and Facebook, for example, do you see those statistics changing? So, for example, do you see more more influence from TikTok as as you sort of venture into this? And over time, who knows? Who knows? Um, that's really a question, I suppose, for for Nico, who's who leads our performance marketing unit. Um, well, obviously watching like the rest of the world at the moment with threads as well and the incredible numbers that that's racking up very quickly as a as a yeah, new channel but it will it will depend obviously very much on the on the on the client and uh their appetite for risk and, and what they're trying to achieve so it's going to be different channels for for different campaigns fantastic well, that is all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Brian, for joining us on the Mumbrella cast. And I look forward to seeing what, what comes next. Thanks for having me. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to the Mumbrella cast. If you like what you hear, give us a follow and subscribe for more. And don't forget, Mumbrella 360 is here in just a week's time. You do not want to miss it. Check out the lineup and get your tickets while you can. Thanks again to Damo, Nath and Loz. And of course, our producer, Darcy Song. See you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.